Good evening, everyone. We are happy to have with us today a singer, actor, activist known for her role in Head Over Heels and her time on RuPaul's Drag Race. You could see her Friday, June 28th, performing at the Gramercy Theater with her collaborator, Caswell. Here's a warm wel- welcome to the wonderful Peppermint. How has your day been so far? Oh, it's been great. Thank you. No problem. <laughs> so I guess to get into things, talk a little bit about everything that you've done. You've been in some TV shows, movies, music videos, released <laughs> albums, collaborated with several prominent musicians, and made Broadway history with your role in Head Over Heels. Uh, on top of already very successful drag career, I guess I was wondering if the label drag queen ever feels like a hindrance in terms of it being the thing that people go to when describing you or describing like everything about it. You know, I actually had this conversation earlier. I was doing another uh, interview today and they were trying to figure out what the... um introduction was going to be Mm. and um, we had this very conversation can we just say drag queen peppermint and these things are it's true my hesitance in being kind of um called a drag queen is not because it's not for the reason most people would think a lot of people think oh you're a trans woman you don't want to be called a drag queen i work as a drag queen and i'm very proud of that but you know usually you want to call people by their highest kind of achievement or mm. title. Yeah. And so, you know, Broadway star is, is perfectly ap- applicable. Um, you wouldn't say Patti Lapone, you know, the lady from down the street. Yeah. You know, you would say Broadway diva. And so I'm not comparing myself, but I'm, I'm just saying, you know, I have had these accomplishments. It is a lot for people to say in one sentence. Um, and so, you know, context, I guess, matters. Mm-hmm. But when it's an introduction, yours was fabulous. Thank you. I, I, I tried because I feel like sometimes so many queens just get narrowed down to being a drag queen. But mm-hmm. that is just so little of what they've accomplished. You know, even even by definition, whether you've been on TV or not, do being a, a queen and a drag performer just naturally means you're going to have to do with with everything that it takes to do drag getting your costuming, getting your hair, you know, whatever transformation is involved physically. Also, you know, we're getting your music and putting some thought into your act, you know, sometimes booking your own, you know, shows and directing your own shows. And, you know, you're your own seamstress and publicist and and designer and musician. And, and, you know, being a drag performer is, is, it's a renaissance profession. Yeah, definitely. And then since we brought it up already, your time with um, Head Over Heels, which by all accounts I heard was a real blast. <laughs> I, I am sad that I did not get you to You heard? It. You didn't see? I, I, <laughs> I was studying abroad, unfortunately. Okay, so. you have an excuse. But um, yeah, <laughs> it seemed to amass quite a bit of like a diehard fan base that really turned out and really enjoyed it. Those. Yeah, it really did. You know, this is my first time I've ever been in a play on Broadway, so I don't know. You know, everything that happened to me felt normal, but the, according to the accounts of other people who were in the show with me, um, it was quite a devoted and particularly uh, exuberant fan base. Um, 
will be probably a cult following later on. Yeah. And and that's great. I think that just has a lot to do with the fact that the show spoke to so many themes yeah. of acceptance. Um, and it really resonated with a lot of people who don't usually see themselves represented on Broadway. Yeah. And then I guess I kind of wanted to ask your opinion on how often people try to make a distinction between, oh, this drag queen is doing a drag show and then there is theater, there is real theater. Mm-hmm. And there's most of the time a drag show is no different than like any of the solo shows that we're getting on Broadway. I guess, why do you think that tends to be the case? Do you think it's like a sort of like delegitimization of drag shows or do you think there's some merit to making a distinction? I think context matters. It is, you know, when you say we're going to go to a show, you know, it's it's good to say, hey, we're going to go to a drag show. A lot of times drag can um, involve or include elements that other things don't include. Um, drag, just by, usually by definition, is a, it can be more political. It's certainly more casual mm-hmm. um, of an atmosphere. And, and so the, these are things that describe drag, I think, in a productive way. But it where it becomes reductive is not acknowledging the artistry and the the kind of the effort, the creativity, the pre- pre- preparation mm-hmm. that goes into that can go into a drag act. Not all drag acts now are brilliant, but many of them are. Yeah. And and so I think it's just important to acknowledge that as an art piece, um drag has the tool to, tools to be transformative and transcendent, sometimes more than the typical theater piece. Yeah, definitely. And then to talk on sort of like the impact that drag can have, I, I think a lot of the time drag is associated with like a, a adult themes and adult stuff like clubs, mm-hmm. partying, because that's kind of where it proliferated. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's kind of been an attempt as of late to get it to a younger audience with things such as like uh, drag queen story time. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, how do you think drag can be introduced to younger people, especially in person? Well, I do think folks should bring their families to drag brunches <laughs> all around the world, all around the country. I think, yeah, I I honestly think that folks are not necessarily going to have to do too much work in terms of bringing their families to drag. I think drag is being brought to the the masses via things like Drag Queen Story Hour, of course, RuPaul's Drag Race. Mm -hmm. And, And so, you know, folks, all they need to do is just be open. And, you know, we we already have uh, drag performers uh, on major film and television projects. Mm -hmm. Uh, Of course, me on Broadway. Um, You know, so if you've if you've been in any of these arenas, which are not typically drag arenas, you may have encountered a drag queen and, and been able to kind of feel kind of the magic of drag. So, you know, just sit back and relax and be open and we'll take care of the rest. (laughs) Yeah. When we talk about drag going into the mainstream. You're definitely seeing a lot of changes. Now, you've been in the scene for over 20 years. It's quite a long time. (laughs) Um, What specific changes have you seen as drag seeps into the mainstream that really stand out to you, for better or for worse? Well, one of the things that drag, and I even heard RuPaul speak about this, and and, um, I think it's really interesting. RuPaul's um, description of drag is very 
kind of it lines up with how I described New York City nightlife. When I moved here in the late 90s, you didn't know whether you were going to dance all night or meet somebody and go home and have a hookup or or do drugs or get killed or all of it. Mm-hmm. But it had that sense of danger. And that was um, thrilling to a lot of people. And and I think that's really why so many people, why New York City nightlife has been so notorious over the years. It's earned its place as like this kind of legendary kind of thing where you go out and it's going to be the best nightlife experience ever because it's going to be dangerous and risky and fun and all these things. And it's not so much anymore, usually. Um, And I think drag was the same thing since drag existed in sort of the underground scene in New York City nightlife. It too was risky and dangerous, Mm -hmm. provocative, had an anarchist sort of attitude and position. But then as drag became more and more popular... I think it was important for the the innate performer to distinguish themselves and kind of adopt different characteristics, not necessarily the renegade performer, but also, you know, like the kind of bizarre sort of Stepford wife drag or, you know, the, the campy drag. There's different styles that emerged and allowing each artist to have more of a unique kind of individuality. Um, and so drag has always had kind of the potential to go mainstream, but it didn't always have the vehicle. Mm -hmm. And so now with things like RuPaul's Drag Race, certainly, you know, drag is much more mainstream than it ever was. Mm -hmm. Uh, Queens these days are getting, you know, major endorsements from, you know, Fortune 500 companies that are like, we want to be involved in a piece of this. And so I think people are finally seeing that it doesn't just need to be something that's in the shadows. And so for worse was that, you know, it allowed us to curse and say whatever the hell we wanted and talk about any group and and be as disgusting as, as we deserve to be mm-hmm. as, as artists to express ourselves. The flip side of that is that, you know, going mainstream means that you couldn't always do that in every space. Yeah. But the benefit of that is now there's queens that are earning over six figures a yeah. year because they're partnered with Macy's yeah. you know, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel that as Drag Race has gotten more popular, that it has shifted expectations as to what drag should be? On a smaller level, yes. I think that the largest shift has come from within the drag community. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of queens and drag performers who have their eyes set on RuPaul's Drag Race. And so in order to do that, I think many of them feel like... they. I've heard of queens, you know... I mean, I know that there's queens that, like really step up their game the, the the expression is step your pussy up yeah um really step up their pussies to to kind of already look the part um spending you know whereas you know it was kind of seen as edgy and artistic to you know grab a trash bag or some curtains to make a dress now folks are spending a thousand two three four thousand dollars on a gown and jewels the girls on drag race do that but the girls the queens that are not on Drag Race don't need to do that. But I think that they're feeling the pressure to kind of look like they've been on TV, even if they weren't. And so that's, you know, that's kind of one of the biggest shifts that I've seen is that the queens, I I even know queens that have done is gone so far as to move to Los Angeles where they think they'll get more media attention. Hmm. And so there's a portion of it that's like attention, fame, whore, is is there anything that you'd like to see when it comes to the future of the drag scene? This could be anything from like demographic changes to aesthetic changes to 
technological innovation, anything? Well, one of the um, things that I would like to see just kind of across the board is when we think of drag entertainers, it doesn't just have to be queens. It can obviously it can be kings. Mm-hmm. This kind of goes with along with the mainstreaming of drag. I think it's you know drag is right now, drag is for everyone to to enjoy, you know families and we've been talking about this, and so I think it's important that we allow everyone who enjoys it the freedom to choose whether or not they want to participate in it. They want to become drag performers. Um, I know that there's a lot of people that want to say, you know, drag is just for gay men to do and that's it. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's um, holding us back, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, it's it's keeping yourselves, you gay men out there who just want to say drag is for just gay men, it's keeping yourselves in a box, mm-hmm. you know. It's like saying that, you know, gay men can't play straight roles. Yeah. Or, you know, it's, it's something like that. And so I think it's it's important to allow people into those spaces if they can do it respectfully. If you're not a fierce drag performer, believe me, we will find out and you won't have much of a future. Let the craft decide who can do drag. Um, and then as far as technological advances, I remember, I, I wouldn't say so much now, but I, I remember back in the day um, when we started to see a little bit of a change in the attendance um, in New York City nightlife, it would go through ups and downs. I remember thinking, why don't we just, you know, this is when Periscope had just come out. Mm-hmm. Why don't we just have drag shows that are just remote and people can just tune in <laughs> and pay per view, mm-hmm. you know, instead of having to go to a bar? And so I don't know what that would do to the, you know, economy of bar culture, but, um, Maybe there's maybe there's something to it. I guess to move this out and as to queer culture as a whole, queer culture has become progressively and progressively more mainstream, and as a result, major corporations have begun to seemingly embrace queer culture. It's something that we've spoken about on this show quite often, whether this is for the better or for the worst once again. But we have things like many corporations at Pride Parades. We just talked about partnering with Macy's. Mm-hmm. And then you have JetBlue ad at Stonewall. Now, of course, this will help more people access queer culture as a whole. But there's also the subtext that when something is done by a corporation, it's done for the intent of income. That's how corporations work. So what's your take on this growing corporate I suppose, creep into queer culture? You know, I mean, it is very, I call it pink pandering. Mm-hmm. It's very much what it is. And I think, you know, look, ultimately what we want is we want these corporations, these companies, these employers, potential employers to support our everyone, all the individual identities in the queer community. That's what we want. And is there a way for them to do that without changing their logo to rainbow? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm not going to allow them to get off the hook by saying, we're there for the gay pride march, but then, you know, the next day we're gone and mm-hmm. we desert you. I'm not going to allow them off the hook. I think, you know, it's important that we express that we that they should know their place for something like the pride march and, you know, the 50th anniversary of Stonewall. It's important that we still uplift the voices of the people who are who historically have been the most marginalized in our community, queer people of color, trans women of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that it's important that we don't let that message get lost in the big rainbow celebration that can be corporate, you know, gay America. But I like to view this as the signaling of these 
companies that they are finally ready to step, take a step closer to us. And we just need to let them know that it's a one-way door. Mm-hmm. You know, you can come in, but you cannot get out. Yeah. And so once you signal to us, you know, you don't need to change your permanently change your logo to rainbow, but you, we are going to hold you accountable. And if you're not stepping up for us and our community and you're you're not there for our community and supporting our community throughout the year the way that you are now, we will hold you accountable. Yeah. Great. I think that's the position that we need to take. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. And then this is also pretty similar, but the queer community has continued to like build up a number of outspoken, like cisgendered, straight celebrity allies. And like these allies are coming to become like gay icons. Like, how does it make you feel about like this whole trend of like, let's say, Taylor Swift being a gay icon? I don't really view it as a trend. I mean, look, we're talking about Stonewall yeah. and the entire revolution was sparked or the, the the last straw, I'll say, was, you know, uh, Judy Garland's passing. Mm-hmm. And she was certainly is a queer icon um, among diva and other fabulous things. And I think she I'm sure she knew it. And of course, our um, community was much more stifled. Uh, and I think that this was because there weren't no uh positive examples in media of queer people um that you know for for us to kind of latch onto that we latched onto these divas mm-hmm. and i think we're in the habit of doing that and we uplift these strong women who women are also an oppressed class mm-hmm. and and so we we hear them speaking out on their own behalf in terms of having the rights and the, the you know female empowerment and i think for so long that that message of female empowerment which has been present in american culture uh re- resonates so strongly with with queer folks with gay men and and everyone else in the queer community and so now we have things like you know people like taylor swift looking ahead to where we need to go i actually am saying it's about time mm-hmm. you know i mean there's always been kind of passive support yeah. by these divas and saying, you know, you know, wearing a rainbow thing or or saying, you know, let everyone love, you yeah. know, just be but just be nice. These messages have come out of our current day pop divas for the longest time. There are people like who risked their livelihood. Mm-hmm. Madonna was definitely one of the people. She earned an NC-17 rating because Truth or Dare, the mo- her movie, featured the first ever male kiss, mm-hmm. you know, in yeah. a, in a um, wide release film, and so and her she her show was getting picketed and boycotted, and she got arrested on stage, and so uh, heterosexual allies, you know, um, it's not necessarily new that these pop divas are doing that. Um, it's in fact a much safer environment. I don't see Taylor Swift getting arrested. Yeah, but. I am very happy that this wasn't just like a, you know, putting a little rainbow thing. This was actually like the the video and everything. The the writing is ambiguous. It's not so straightforward, but the 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 video is undeniably queer. Yeah. And so I think she's celebrating that and I I like the fact that she has all these different types of bodies in the in the video. And so, you know, this is kind of a an an epic thing. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to reduce it and and kind of look a gift horse in the mouth. You know, we don't need her gifts, but it's it's we as a 
queer community are not going to be really be seen or treated as fully equal until we are all looked at the same. And we're not going to be looked at the same until those people on the other side, whoever they are, see themselves as being the same as us. And the own, the catalyst for that, the gateway for that is Taylor Swift, mm-hmm. you know? It's not going to be us throwing glitter in their face or throwing a rainbow rock through their window. Yeah. It's going to be Taylor Swift, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> You've done a lot of activism and a lot of speaking out on behalf of the community. And this is a topic that I think a lot of fans of drag, fans of drag race, fans of yours are passionate about. But people don't know where to get started when it comes to doing something on their own behalf. Mm-hmm. So... For those who are interested in doing activism for the community, do you have any recommendations as to where they might start and how they can make a difference? And are there any organizations in particular yeah. you might recommend? Absolutely. Um, I do think that we uh, we need to look at everyday activism. And so I think that starts with having these kind of uncomfortable conversations that we all had to have right after Trump got elected yeah. um, with our families. I think it starts with things like that, calling out um, misogyny, racism, transphobia, um, homophobia when we see it. And I think that, I think that these things are, are all linked. Um, and so, you know, to fight misogyny is to fight homophobia, mm-hmm. for instance. Um, and so that's one of the things. Um, you know, look at your own behaviors. If you're going to have a ch- child, let's not do a gender reveal party. Mm-hmm. Um, these are really small kind of really subtle things that people can do. Um, in terms of supporting organizations, I do think it's important that we um, just give regularly and uplift organizations, support publicly re- organizations uh, like GLAD and the HRC, uh, and uplift and donate money to mm-hmm. organizations that are more grassroots, like the Sylvia Rivera Law Project, uh, National Center for Trans Equality. I posted uh, several um, in a post about how to be an ally in October when uh, Trump first tweeted about his trans military ban. Mm -hmm. And there were 30 different organizations that I talked about. And so I'm going to be reposting that again soon. But these are two organizations that would uh, benefit greatly uh, by your support if you're a listener. And then I guess in terms of getting to understand the drag community and the queer community as a whole, do you have any essential reading or watching if it's a video of sorts (laughs) yeah anything that you'd recommend for people that they want to genuinely get their just get into this kind of information and i do think that queer folks and and when i say queer folks i'm i mean not only gay and trans and bi and non-binary people but i also mean our allies i think that our allies can be queer just by association, mm-hmm. um, which means that I'm I'm only saying that because I want to hold them accountable and re- and responsible for our betterment as well. And so um, I think some much important reading and or watching is some watching. Of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't say Paris is burning. Yeah. Of course. Um there's a lot of queer, you know, luckily there's algorithms in, in, in YouTube and in, and on Google. So when you when you search for Paris is Burning, there's going to be a lot of other recommended material uh, that someone can, um, you know, watch. 
Uh, and you can even look to stuff to t- today, like Pose, for instance. Um, you know, I think that that's a really important show that we have to support because it's, you know, queer folks of color who have so are so rare that we have been featured in the way that we are being featured and, and given positions of power in front of and behind the camera. And it's really entertaining. They watch things like that. Um, there's a couple of other books that I can recommend. A Transgender History by Susan Stryker. This is must-read material. I think it's absolutely important. Uh, Trans Bodies is important. That's by Laura um, Erickson Scroff. Um, that's important. Another one is The Whipping Girl by Ju- Julia Serrano. These are some important books that I read. Um, and finally, uh, Redefining Realness by Janet Mock. These are some great reads. So in the beginning of the show, we were talking about how you want to be defined. But there are a lot of ways that other people around the country and in general have defined you. I have your Wikipedia page right oh, here. Oh, no. And <laughs> you have that you're best known as a fixture in the New York City nightlife scene and as the runner-up on the ninth season of Drag Race. It also notes in your intro paragraph that you became the first trans woman to originate a principal role on Broadway. And Uh it's well known that you are the first trans woman to come out as such on RuPaul's Drag Race. But when it comes to you as a legacy, what do you want to be known for? What do you want your line in history to be? Um, you know, that's a good question. I don't know because I don't think I'm finished yet. Hopefully it'll be like president, you know, or something. I don't know. Um, I, you know, all those things are great um, and they're true, most of them. Everything on Wikipedia is not true. Um, but it's it's really tough because I feel like I'm so young and I feel it's so interesting. I feel like I'm just getting started. Yeah. So I don't know uh, the full answer to that, but um, I wouldn't, I would like whatever the moniker is I would like my I think I want exactly what everyone else wants is that their impact to be lasting mm-hmm. after they're long gone yeah. um, and I would like my legacy to be one that speaks to uh, uplifting and making things better for my community awesome and then one last question with all the different things that you've done already and all the things that you've tried, what's next for you? Is there anything that you're aspiring to try out? Is there anything that you haven't done in a while that you want to do again? I'd like to go on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> that would be nice. Um, you know, it's pride season, so I can't look much further than tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, there, I have um, a bunch of stuff happening. I'm really excited about a podcast that's coming out that I'm hosting with Caswell awesome. uh, on Pride, New York Pride, which is World Pride mm. uh, weekend, uh, the 27th. It's on Forever Dog. Um, folks can tune into that and where get get your podcast wherever you get your podcast. It's called It's a Mess. It's an advice podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to then the next day I have my concert with yeah. Caswell. Um, and so these are things that I have like something on the calendar every day. Uh, I am excited to go and see the the release of the Queen. Um, it's a it's a documentary that was in I think nineteen. 60, it's 1960s documentary about a, a drag pageant, but it's so much more. Huh. Um, and that's I would like to add that to the list of must-see programming. And that's playing in limited release in on larger screens here in New York. You have to look up The Queen. It has Mother Flawless Sabrina. Um, 
and uh, Crystal Abasia, mm. who uh, everyone knows. She's got some sayings that have gone down in the lexicon and people don't realize it, yeah. that they come from her. So, you know, I got a busy calendar. Um, I don't know what's next. I'm hoping I am recording some, I'm writing some new music right now. Mm. So an album is coming out in the next year. And next week, watch out for a particular, well, it's not even a secret now. I'll be making a guest appearance on a couple of TV shows, Pose, um, for one, and that's that's not why I told you how to watch. But next week episode, I will be on Pose, and it'll be it's really um, interesting because the episode deals with violence against trans women, which mm-hmm. is very poignant and and yeah. um, relevant. And so there's there's plenty. You won't get bored. Google me. You'll see me, y'all. <laughs> awesome. Uh, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. No problem.